0: The more transparent we get about it, the better, especially for women generally, because there's still quite a pay gap generally between men and women, unfortunately, as the studies are still finding. So many people don't have a plan for it that it's like, oh, so I should buy a motorcycle and also maybe we'll go skydiving today. And also I could buy like a 3D printer. It fits in my suitcase, Melissa, isn't this cool? I think it's another great thing point out about personal finance is that if people are giving you information and you think it's garbage and that you can't use it, like don't give up. Just keep looking because someone out there is coming from the same background and has been successful. You just have to find them.
1: Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello. We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Rob.
2: And my name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode, we will be talking to Melissa Bondar about financial literacy in the arts. Melissa Bondar is a touring stage manager and a personal
1: finance enthusiast who blogs at Brick Girl Rich. She's been stage managing since 2004, and some of her favorite jobs include working with Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, Sleep No More, and Big Apple Circus. She also did a lengthy stint with Holland America Line on board their ships at the beginning of her career. Along the way, she realized she was pretty concerned about whether or not she'd ever be able to retire and started learning more about personal finance. The more she learned, the more she realized we really needed to improve our financial literacy in the arts. So she's been blogging about it ever since. Mel, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. Tell us a little
1: bit about you and the moment that you decided that we needed to get more uh, financially literate. Uh, You you decided you need to get more financially literate in the arts.
0: Sure. So a little bit of my background is that I was pretty lucky. I graduated right into the recession of 2008, which does not sound lucky at all. But I happened to land right on board cruise ships. And from there, I was also pretty lucky that I dated two boys in a row who were super financially savvy when I wasn't. And they used to like make fun of me. And both of them, instead of normal peer pressure, they were like, why don't you have an IRA peer pressure? Why should We should do that while we're in port. Why don't we look at IRAs online? Because you need to be like a little more prepared for the future, Melissa. And I generally had no idea what any of these things are from like my background, which I thought was like fairly well educated and well-rounded. Like personal finance just was never a thing that came up in high school or in college. So all of those things just like honestly, just a pile of luck after luck put me on on a good financial path to get started. And then I went to grad school, where I took out about thirty thousand dollars in loans, which was just awesome. So graduating from there, I wound up. Back on cruise ships, paying it off. And then I wound up in the job that I went to after cruise ships, which I didn't really love. And there was a day that I had that was one of those really great days at work where you just like, why do I do this? Why have I picked this career? This is the worst idea I've ever had. And I was like, well, I'm going to leave. Like, this company is like really rough and like this job is not worth it. And I realized that I couldn't because I had to pay off my student loans. And it felt like the company owned me. And I got really upset about that, even though I, I had been making like pretty good choices and I was paying the loans down and doing everything essentially right. I like had really limited my options in life by taking them on. So I realized that even though I had these few good influences who helped me make a couple of really lucky, good choices in the beginning, that I really sort of had to take a lot more responsibility for my personal finance state and that I really didn't ever want to to be trapped in a job that I couldn't leave again. And I started to teach myself more about personal finance. And as I did that, I realized there weren't a lot of resources out there at the time, especially about 10 years ago now. For people in the arts, it was a lot of like, well, you know, here's recommendations for nine to five people who have weekends and know what their schedule is and know what they can expect to make. But fortunately, I fell into more of the blogging world, which has representation from just all over, which is really why it's kind of awesome. And started to find some other people, a few people who worked in the arts and a few people who are freelancers and other things and how they were making their money work. And that sort of got me started on a path to blogging myself about what I was doing, especially because I had always been curious about what stage managers make, which is um, what I do. And I felt like no one was ever giving me clear answers on it. So I made it my goal that maybe I can't give you the answers on what all stage managers make, but at least I can tell you what I make and how I'm balancing my money. And that's kind of where I got to where I am today.
1: Amazing. Do you think that because uh, you you weren't educated at any point up to that moment, that it should be a part of uh, a curriculum as part of your tertiary education or even high school education, no matter what career you do?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for a long time it was when you look back to what home economics used to be, a lot of it included basic things like how to balance a checkbook and what savings accounts are and a little bit of how like even planning for retirement works. And that's kind of been phased out of education these days. So there's really no resources for that. I mean, I remember a project when I was in like seventh grade where we tracked the stock market for a week. And really all we did was play this game where you kind of guessed at stocks and the class competed to see who made the most over the course of a week, which doesn't teach you that much about stocks to begin with. And also gives you the wrong idea about like stocks are kind of a game, which in a way they could sort of be perceived as that but that's they're they're a really useful tool for long-term planning as well but you don't want to look at them just like they're a game generally and i actually think i really think colleges especially would benefit for people who are going into the arts to do a class specifically for personal finance in the arts cuz i think if you choose this path there are a lot of different obstacles that a lot of people don't encounter and and some interesting benefits that you could really take advantage of and maximize because of choosing this path that aren't discussed that often so i think like a whole class to that would really help everyone graduating. Because a lot of us, we talk about the starving artist myth so much. And I think that's really played up over time and sort of romanticized. And in a way, if you choose a path in the arts, you just sort of accept that you're going to be poor, sort of. And that's not what the truth of it has to be. But we don't talk about that.
1: Mm, I can totally identify with that, you know, because I also didn't get any of that training and had to sort of discover and fumble my way through working into freelance and you know it's tough and you know you want to have money in your bank account so you can pay the bills and then you know I didn't have any kind of forethought like you to actually start saving for retirement in my early in my 20s you know so it's something that I'm still catching up on and now the irony of me working on multi-million dollar budgets and some projects that I'm doing you know and it's all been self-taught because Nobody really taught me how to do that, and I, I I agree with you. I think there's so much to be said about doing so much to be said about doing that, you know early and 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 understanding it and either yourself or through an educational facility. When you started looking for the information on financial literacy, you said you found it in through blogs and things like that. what was there what realms or what jobs or what careers was had some similarities to the arts that you found resources useful?
0: Well, some of the first resources that I found really useful were honestly just finding if you don't know anything, any personal finance knowledge is better than none, because at least you can read it and go like, I see the point you're trying to get to here. I don't see how I'm going to do that as a freelancer. But that starts to like, it teaches you the language that people are using. It teaches you the right things to look for. A lot of times, even if the path there isn't the same, the goals are the same for everyone. So if you don't even know what the goals are, you don't even know what direction to head off in. Really starting anywhere is probably going to be better than where you are right now. A few that I really liked, um, Budgets Are Sexy makes things super accessible. And that was one of the first ones that I read. Consumerism Commentary was one that I read back then. And it's archived now. They don't update it anymore. But an interesting thing about that is that it was a website where people would post their net worth. They would uh, like submit them and the guy there would evaluate them. And sort of be like, well, you should improve here. And I can see how you're doing this. And you would learn a lot about them and their lives. So you would learn what careers they had, what their average income was, and how they were getting to these net worths as well when you would read each post. So while the whole website didn't apply, that was one of the first ones that made me think like, oh, different people from different walks are still succeeding anyway. So like, let's keep looking. I really like stephanieoconnell.com. It used to be called The Broken Beautiful Life. And she's an actress. So that was one of the first ones that had like a direct connect. Budget and the Beach is a freelance videographer and she deals a lot with very different um, income levels. So those were some of the key blogs that I read. I also really like, there's a book called Money Girl, Smart Moves to Grow Rich. And it's just a very basic personal finance book, but everything is, it tells you about what the thing is that you didn't know before and then like very clear steps on how to do it. So like, this is what a budget is and here's how you can do a budget. And budget is one of the ones that sometimes is hard to apply for us because our income is variable and they don't address that in the book. But if you've never done any kind of budget, it's still useful to see what they are. And that one shows you how to make them. Does the same thing with net worth and with breakdowns of different retirement accounts. So I thought that was a really great primer for the very first time to read. And it's written very conversationally and it's super easy to read. And I also really like The Wealthy Barber is another book. And that's more kind of about why you might want to do this, like, which I think for a lot of people, understanding your why of personal finance can be really motivating to get you to get your act together. So The Wealthy Barber is about a guy who is just, it's written in the style of a parable a little bit, but it's about a a barber who over time, the moves that he makes to become wealthy, and it sort of makes you feel like if you follow these things, if you can, you can probably achieve some financial security, which I have found to be true so far.
2: You mentioned that you couldn't find information of what other stage managers make. So what's your take on being open and transparent about uh, wages in the industry in general?
0: Well, I do also think it's gotten better over time. It's a little easier to find now. Like Glassdoor is actually really helpful, especially if you're applying to a really big company. There's a group on Facebook. That I'm blanking on right now because there are about five really big stage manager groups, and one of them has pinned at the top an Excel sheet that people have anonymously been contributing to for the last few years. And there you can find really useful information on smaller theater companies, especially if you're trying to negotiate there. But I think wage transparency really should be more common than it is now. I mean, at least in America, it's illegal to tell people, like, to say that you can't share your salary, it's up to you. But of course, there's still a stigma attached to that. And also there, are, there's possible fallout when you do it anyway that, that might not seem direct, but you know, becomes direct because we're contract workers. So you, there's m- multiple reasons people can give you for not rehiring you, or they cannot even give you a reason. They could just go a different path, which is totally valid and allowed. So you generally don't want to give people reasons to do that. But again, I think the more transparent we get about it, the better, especially for women generally, because there's still quite a pay gap. Generally, between men and women, unfortunately, as the studies are still finding.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. It's funny because here in Asia, they're very open about like what are you currently earning and what's your current salary if you're trying to move jobs. And it, it was quite uncomfortable for me. It's like, do I, and I'm saying to people around me, do I, do I, am I supposed to tell them? Is that going to be bad if, <laughs> if, they, if I tell them how much I earn? And 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 it's still something that I I really don't know how to navigate sometimes because I feel like. I feel like if I'm, because sometimes, you know, freelance, I will take a cheaper job if I'm interested in it or I'll take a better paying job. And and then from country to country, it can be different in terms of what I can earn or whether it's a theatre company or whether it's a corporate project or corporate gig. You know, the the salary gaps are massive there. So there is no standardisation for me in this part of the world and I feel very uncomfortable saying, okay, well, on this gig I got this, but on this gig I did this. And everyone's like, "Well, well, there's a big difference there, right?
0: Well, it's true, too, though, that there's so many different reasons why you might take that. Like, for instance, I find operas kind of fun to do, like small scale, because they're not really my thing, but they're so different from my main thing that I will, like, if I have a free month, I'll pretty much go do an opera anywhere. And usually as an ASM, and without much opera experience, I'm taking, like, pretty major pay cuts to go do this, but it's fun. It makes a little bit, and I learn different skills than I use that make me better overall. But at the same time, if I tell you, like, what are you making now? I'm making like $200 a week. And you think that's an average you would expect me to take a job for. That's like a rare, rare thing that I agree to. And at the same time, there's also, I think I understand a little better the longer that I'm in this business, why people sort of hesitate. Because like, how much do stage managers make is, becomes a very complicated question. It's not like, let me answer this immediately. It's like, I don't know, let me tell you my whole career path, because it's all over the place and for different reasons. And honestly, there are times I might do the same job as someone else to where I'm making three times than what they're making, but I have five more years experience and like check every box on a particular job and you don't, they're just hoping you do well. So yeah, they paid us very different for us to work two different wings of the exact same tour. And there are just so many things that go into it. It's true. It can't really be a very quick conversation. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of value to like, Generally, I'll tell any of my assistants or people who are moving up. If they're just curious, I'm pretty open about it because I'm like, hey, you should negotiate like this. Or if I know their negotiations are coming up or something, I'd be like, do you feel confident? Do you want to talk about this this thing you're going to go do? Because I'll be pretty pretty upfront with you if you want about numbers and how I do it. But I think just opening that door sometimes can make it easier for others to know. Like I'm someone it's safe to talk about salary with if you want. I can be pretty blunt and open.
2: Lately, especially in the Middle East, what I started doing was, okay, so what I want to make is this much. I'm not going to tell you how much I'm currently making, but if I do this project, I want this much money.
0: I think that's a great approach because you've kind of already decided what the project is worth to you. And if you get it, great. And if you don't, then they'll move on to someone else and maybe you wouldn't have been happy they're being paid less anyway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What would you advise you know, given that you have been in this in this uh, study and and working through this from a personal perspective, what would you encourage when you're trying to take care of your fans, uh, finances with those swings in employment and the the ups and downs and sal- salaries and freelance life? like how do you set the bar about how much you're trying to save, where does it go and work within that?
0: For me, it goes back to the idea of setting goals, which was one of my biggest takeaways as I started to look into people with variable income. Is more instead of every month I'll save this much, which you're just going to fail at sometimes. And that can become really demoralizing and you start to give up, or at least I start to give up. I set like goals for what I want to achieve over a longer period of time. So, for instance, my emergency savings were a really important goal to me, especially because of this career. And because for me, emergency savings sort of equal freedom. So the larger I managed to get my emergency savings more so than even I get peace of mind for the emergencies that can happen at times. But also, I think it gives me more career wiggle room than some other careers necessarily need. So for me, I just started setting goals. And the first year I wanted to get it up to $1,000, which was really difficult because I was sort of pinching like almost every penny. But the thing about $1,000 is that if you don't already have a side hustle, it's fairly side hustleable. So all you have to really do is start for most people, not everyone, but most people can cut some corners, become a little more frugal, look for some little thing that they can do maybe like once a week or once a month on the side. And you can probably hit a $1,000 over a year. And from there, I just sort of kept upping my goal. And I was fortunate that the year that I started saving things, I was living in New York City as well, which was really expensive. And I went back out on tour after a year. And touring is one of the best ways to save money that I could recommend to anyone in the arts, especially if you're housing and your food and you're getting pretty diem. you can probably save quite a bit and pay down quite a bit or put to the side. So I just kept setting goals that were higher and higher. And I knew all along that my long-term goal was to have a full year's salary in my emergency savings, which still hasn't happened. But I am about halfway there. And that gives me all sorts of wiggle room in what gigs I'll take and along the way I had to be really strict initially about I need to make x amount every week so like I generally would not take a contract at less than 700 dollars a week when I started this because I did all my expenses and figured everything out and knew that was what I had to make some contracts pay more which is nice then because then in my next contract I don't quite have to make 700 even though I still want to because I know that from the previous one And I just kept doing that over time. And I was lucky that I pretty much kept landing contracts in this range or hires that over time just kept giving me more and more wiggle room to take other jobs that would help me grow, like the opera things or different opportunities that came along that might not pay as much. For me also, though, I sort of put a limit on them. Like I wouldn't do a six month tour at $200 a week is not happening. But for the little filler things, I'm really happy that I can take things that help me grow even if they don't pay as much.
2: And then what about retirement? How do you plan for that?
0: Well, I'm American, which I don't know if that came up because that's definitely going to factor into anyone listening from another country. But for me, I started with an IRA just because it was concrete and easy and had a fairly low limit, like $6,000 a year is still an awful lot of money to put away. And it was more than I could do at first, but it didn't seem like impossible. So I... Would also recommend possibly looking into that because anyone can open an IRA. There are income limits, but that means you just have to be making less than something like $80,000. So for most of us, not a problem. So and then between that, I had to decide between a traditional or Roth and a traditional pretty much means you get the tax benefits. Now I got I could deduct what I contribute each year in my taxes. But personally, I went for a Roth just because my personality is that I would rather deal with all the hard stuff up front and have like an easier time in retirement where I'm not paying taxes. And you can look at a lot of numbers to try to perfectly optimize that. But I think we lose a lot of time trying to make perfectly optimized choices when just taking the next step forward gets you further in the long run. So I did that. And now a couple of years ago, I realized that I qualified for an HSA, which is a health savings account. And I think those are kind of amazing because you can use them now for medical emergencies and medical expenses if you have to, or you can access them later. So currently, my main like retirement plan is maxing out both of those each year whenever I can. Uh, actually, self-employed people also can apply for a myriad of retirement plans that are specifically for self-employed people that will let you save more. So if you have more than this small amount, you can look into them to put away even more for retirement. But I think for a lot of us, especially if it seems like a struggle to get started, IRAs and HSAs are pretty easy to open.
1: How do you decide if you've got that extra cash, whether it goes into retirement or your emergency fund, right? Because you'd be like, well, emergency fund I can access, retirement I cannot necessarily. That's always my fear because I was like, I could probably put some more money in my retirement fund. But should I?
0: Absolutely. Um, I think... Getting started with my emergency fund, I weighed it much heavier towards that until I was around $5,000 there, because that felt like, that's like a hefty emergency there. That will cover quite a bit. And then I sort of shifted it more towards, I sort of 50 50 it for quite a while there, where I was like, whatever extra I had, I put half towards my emergency fund and half towards my IRA. And as I reached like another goal where I felt like pretty secure then with my emergency fund, I sort of tipped it in the opposite, where like 90% now goes towards retirement and 10% just keeps adding to my emergency fund. So it really comes down to, I think, whatever your comfort level is. But I think it's good if you can continue to make sure that you're doing both, even if it's just a little bit to the other one, because retirement accounts really benefit from compound interest, which the sooner you can start the better so even if you're only putting a little bit in in your early 20s it's going to make a big difference in the long run
1: i think that's the biggest thing isn't it start as soon as you can and the t- time is a winner on that in, in a retirement fund you know the the way that it compounds over time is definitely way a way that you're going to retire uh, better off that's what it should be in Finance 101 at your first session
0: at school and university. Absolutely, that's why it should be in high school and university, 100%. (laughs) I think 101
2: should also be about debt and how we get into debt or should or shouldn't we because debt can be a tool for investment and growth if we know how to use it, but it also can drag you down very fast.
0: It's true. I think debt is, uh, honestly, probably kills more artistic careers than we even talk about because it really limits your opportunities. You know, if you have to make X amount every month, you know, I was saying 700 was my number. And that was with almost no debt. That was really the number that I, I didn't even come up with that number till I finished paying off all of my student loans. And I hypercharged it those in two years between cruise ships and touring with a circus. And if I had had to deal with those as well as like what I thought I had to make, I would have had to be making more than $1,000 a week. And honestly, like what I recall from starting out as a stage manager, there's no way I'm making more than $1,000 a week. That's probably not going to be your first gig right out of college. So then what are you doing? Then you've got to pile another job on it. And I go back to stage management because that's really all I know. But like when I think of the hours that you work as a stage manager as well, trying to pile another job on top of it is like... Where are you going to fit in sleep at this point? So really, you're going to have to scale back your stage management jobs that you can take so that you can mostly make money to pay off the debt. And I don't think we really ever address that in college. No one ever says to you, like, do you really want to like take out another loan or do you see the long-term effects of this? But also, once you're sort of into the cycle, it's hard to break it. I mean, you're not going to drop out of college midway. So no one even talks about it going into school and what that will do to you.
1: From what you say, you were quite aggressive in the payment, paying off your uh student loan debts as quick as possible was that a difficult process i know you said you earned more money or you got it was an easier ride because you were touring and maybe maybe you could uh, save cash in terms of a com and uh per diems et etc but did you really did you really have to work hard at that and how how long how many years did it take you to to become debt free from your student loans
0: oh i was super intentional about it i did not realize how much i hated debt until like I walked out of school and like felt like I was like being crushed under a rock. And I think some people handle that better and can like function like that and I just really like couldn't. I like the number was killing me. So for me it was like I pretty much paid my minimum bills and every all the rest of my paycheck went directly to debt. Actually at the time I had a very small emergency fund like maybe $1000 and I it just everything went to ah, debt. Not to retirement, not to building up the emergency savings any, any further, because I felt like I couldn't sleep well, really. Like, it really affected everything that I was doing. So it took me one year to accumulate all of that debt and two and a half years to pay it off. And I was also lucky because I had worked on cruise ships for a few years um, after finishing college in the first place, and I had a plan to go back. So even gathering all that debt, I knew which day I would be starting to make money again. I knew how much I would make because I was returning to my old job where they liked me. And I negotiated a raise even before I, I like came back. So that was all part of the plan is that I knew. I also at the time kind of knew that I would probably have to stay on cruise ships the whole time I did it. And I had already been at sea for three years and was like, I don't know how much longer I necessarily want to do this. So let's just go all in. And then I wound up getting the other job that paid like slightly better. So I left ships to do that and continue touring, which still allowed me to put like almost all my money towards it. So I was paying about $1,000 a month, I guess, for the two and a half years, maybe a little bit more to pay everything off on a salary of like $30,000 a year before taxes. So
1: that's impressive. It can be done. And what was that day when you made that final payment? What did that feel like?
0: Oh my gosh, I like danced away from the the mailbox because I went to like an actual mailbox to like mail a real check then. <laughs> and we celebrated and I was so used to like, weird frugal moves that I had made to get by that um at the time I was living on a circus train where you have your own kitchen and everything. And I liked pudding. So we were at the food store, like right after I mailed that with the guy I was dating back then. And I was like, I'm going to buy the pudding cups instead of the whole instant package because I'm going to pay the extra dollar for like the convenience of pudding cups because I can. And he's like, this, this is how we're celebrating. I was like, two packages of pudding cups. Yes! <laughs> Live and <in> love. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Student loans are definitely a big subject in the US, but I think it's not the only thing in, when we look abroad and beyond the U.S., it comes to house mortgages and cars and credit cards and so many other ways of selling your life, I guess.
0: It does. I like that you say selling your life because that's kind of like what you're doing. When, but, but none of us think of it that way because none of us are taught any of that in America or in other parts of the world. I think you're just like shown these things that you should have. And society like teaches you that you should have them. And then banks come along and are like, oh, do you want it now? Well, here, just, just do it this way. And that's really kind of dangerous. I think that a lot of financial education or the lack of financial education means that a lot of people don't really understand interest either. So I've met like a shocking number of people who are like, yeah, I paid $900, but I'll just pay it off over the next couple of months. And it's like, hey, you're going to pay like $1,400 over the next couple of months. like, And you're just going to keep getting stuck if you're if you're not careful with it.
1: And I think also the education factor is, is really important because, you know, I've watched people when I've worked on resident shows, not particularly make use of their lots of, you know, if you work on a resident show, say a circus show, um, and Anna, you want not know that, like for some people and some performers, they don't need to come into work till quite late in the afternoon, you know. There's a whole window of opportunity for further education, side hustles, um, and even the money they may earn on the shows could have, the ability to um, set themselves up for life if they're smart about it, you know. And I think that lack of awareness of that opportunity is really sad because, you know, they might do a three or four year stint on a stable show and walk away with, you know, maybe not 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 anything in the bank for their retirement or or their emergency funds or anything like that. So I just think it's, how do you think that, you know, if if you say you're, do you talk, I know you talk about it and you blog about it, but do you talk about that with performers as well in your realm of work, even though I know maybe probably other stage managers and technical people might talk to you about it and know about your blog. But are artists in that realm in terms of those conversations you're having?
0: Uh, you know, now that you say it, I can't think, I can't think of many that I've had that conversation with. It's usually more that someone like will say something and I will jump into the conversation where they finally figure out that I care quite a bit about personal finance. (laughs) But I don't think that I necessarily, now that you say it, it seems like something that should absolutely be a part of like orientation at a a new company or something. Like we also have personal finance resources available to you. And like, here's some suggestions of like ways you might want to consider spending your time here. Never done that, and that's a really great idea.
1: We had, a, we had an, uh, one of the artists who was very financially savvy at the show that I worked on uh, hold a few workshops after uh, shows for a, few, for a few weeks in a row just to t- talk about managing a personal budget and doing exactly what you uh, talk about. And I remember people saying, like, I had no idea I wasn't doing any of these things. I had no idea I should be doing these things. And I was like, wow, you know, it's not just it's all of us. (laughs) We really all need to be like a little bit more savvy, you know, it's
0: crazy. It's true. It is all of us. When you started to talk a minute ago about like, they could spend their mornings side hustling and everything. I thought you were going to go down a different path because my head immediately jumped to like all of my many coworkers, both actors and technicians over the years who it's like, Oh, but I bought this toy and I have now this thing. And like, that's where like so many people's money goes. Cause to them, like when I talk about what a benefit touring can be, because you have so much extra money, like you do. To me, it's not extra money. It's money that's like, oh, retirement savings and emergency funds because I have a plan for them. But I've So many people don't have a plan for it that it's like, oh, so I should buy a motorcycle. And also maybe we'll go skydiving today. And also I could buy like a 3D printer. It fits in my suitcase, Melissa. Isn't this cool? And I'm like... Oh, okay. Well, I <laughs> is
1: that really necessary? I find,
0: yes. <laughs> it, I, I find it really interesting
1: because I, I think one of the most frugal groups, and, you know, I don't want to sort of generalise or typecast, but I think that some people are always really um, smart with their money is uh, Eastern Europeans because they come from a place where they uh, don't necessarily get paid a lot of money for what they do. So if they end up on a show and they're getting getting stuff, you know, there goes like, okay, if I save this, I'm going to be able to get a house in Poland or, you know. And, and I I find that they're very quite um, conservative and then yet other demographics or other cultures are far more freewheeling and look at my new iPhone kind of thing. So, uh, you know, again, I don't want to typecast because there's, there's exceptions to every norm. But it, it is funny to see how different cultures manage the same environment because they're all on similar salary salaries and what they do with that money matters you
0: know it's true I do think that's like one of the coolest things about working for a circus though is all of the there's so many different cultures too and you you watch all of them even if you're not interacting when you sit back and watch how they all interact with each other everyone does sort of influence each other a bit and I think you learn a little more about like motivations so like also to not typecast but or generalize but it does seem like The countries that come from like rougher upbringings and like tougher political places and they are all so responsible and I'll meet someone the same age as me and we have just such a a different approach to life even though I feel like a pretty responsible American they're like no but we we save everything we do you don't know what's coming which I do wonder how the pandemic will affect that for everyone especially in the arts I feel like all of us will come out of this going no, but there might be another pandemic so like let's save in case our whole industry shuts down again
1: yeah is that your reflection on 2020 like what has it taught you um you know because i think for a lot of people that preparedness that you are you're in your emergency fund that half a year salary at least is, you know going for a full year salary is there any lessons on top of that that you've learned from 2020
0: i mean 2020 has taught me to be so grateful for that because it's made a huge difference in how i've approached the the different things that have happened to me this year like I was really lucky and worked for about three months longer than most people because I happened to be teaching for the first time ever. So I I made it through the end of that contract in June. And then because of the finance, like the savings that I had, I was able to think about what I wanted to do next instead of just having to take the like the first survival job that I could grab. It's funny, again, going back to stage management, though, it feels like the most like stage manager year possible. Like, made every plan I could and I'm implementing them now and most of them are working and some of them are not. So let's figure out the ones that aren't and like just keep trying and pivoting here and eventually somehow we will get to the end of the show, I assume, hopefully.
2: So a long show stop. So you, you mentioned that, but having to take this job that you didn't like and you wanted to quit and you couldn't. So how do you balance your mental health and your financial stability?
0: I think at the end of the day, your mental health is what you have to prioritize. But I would say a thing that I don't think we talk about a lot is the fact that getting better with your personal finances are probably going to help your mental health. By like, I feel like winding up in, in debt or in, or in situations where you don't even have a plan of how you're going to get out of them can be really damaging and stressful for your mental health. Um, and also, when you are more financially sound, you have more opportunities and more things to access. It's occurred to me several times over the years that like, even if I like wanted to go see a therapist, they're so expensive. Like therapy almost seems like a privilege in America. I guess it is kind of a privilege in America. So being good with your finances even helps practically in those manners.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think that, um, you know, I wrote I an article once about, you know, people say, oh, you're quite fearless in, in your job or what the, the risks that you've taken in your career and things like that. And I, and I was thinking about it and I was like, well, first of all, from my 20s, I come from a place of privilege. So I feel like that I couldn't sit there and just say, oh, anybody can do it. I had a base plate of being able to return to my parents' house at any point, and they would have taken me in and, and supported that. And then later in my 30s, like you, I built a financial stability that was giving me that freedom to be fearless and and take jobs and pick and choose a little bit about what I would do and how I would do it. So, I I think that um, really, like you said, that a lot of people may not come from as fortunate backgrounds or situations as me. So the easiest way to fast track um if you don't have that family support or wealth behind you or you know in my case a roof over my head to go chill out if something fell apart that that creating a financial base for you to have those choices you know is fundamental for you having personal freedom and then and then being able to choose happiness over you know slaving away at a job that you don't like <laughs> i guess
0: yeah absolutely and I feel like I actually come from the same background. I definitely have a family that I can bounce back to anytime that I need to. And even if I don't need it, that kind of privileges has been so impactful that when people don't have that, I feel like like we have to start from scratch. Like I'm not even sure I can really even give you advice, but maybe together we can find someone else who can because there are people out there who have succeeded in this field from every walk, which I think is another great thing to point out about personal finance is that if people are giving you information and you think it's garbage and that you can't use it like don't give up just keep looking cuz someone out there is coming from the same background and has been successful you just have to find them Ooh
2: that conversation about privilege is a whole other conversation that has so much impact on how we succeed and how we work our way through the industry I think from 2020 we can we can learn that both things we mentioned mental health and financial stability are huge and are hugely overlooked in our industry especially because a lot of people are freelancers and now that you were talking about when I did like about um how corporates sometimes help you in some sort of financial patterns information assets I don't know how to put it but now that I'm thinking when I've worked corporate jobs outside of the industry I've always had some sort of other perks that I don't often get when I do corporate jobs within the entertainment industry. I don't know. I'm just going to factor that in. But how could we, being able to put money into your retirement funds or to your social security, and um, we often do have a good health insurance, but then they can get tricky and it's not the same as having good social security. Overall, And then there's been um you know, like the kind of places where if you save money, they they equal the amount of money you save. So that's a pretty cool perk as well, because even if your salary isn't huge, if you manage to fa- to save five dollars, then you'll get ten. And so that's pretty cool. What do you think we can structure or create or mold a little bit better in our industry with all the lessons we've learned recently?
0: Well, I think it's interesting that I see that discussed on our level here. And I feel like I hear a lot of people who are like boots on the ground talking about how we do these balances and, and how we can make our lives better. And we definitely like, we need to take responsibility for ourselves 100%. But I feel like some things are so broken in our industry that really like, we need to be asking the producers because like, six day work weeks at like 12 hours a day, which stage managers know are 14 hours a day then for them. And like, so many of and the fact that we don't get healthcare in most places, and the fact that there are no access to retirement accounts, and that stability is unsure, and that there are a lot of places that make you a contract worker when you really should not be a contract worker. That's not really what's happening there. All of these things are like above us. And they really do affect very heavily, like how financially secure you can become when your job is so insecure. And how you can plan for mental well-being when really we all know when you have one day off a week you're doing laundry and getting groceries and doing literally just things you need to do to survive so you are constantly in just this state of like survival so i think a lot of these questions really like we need more of a push push up sometimes for better conditions
1: i think so too and i also think that if with if everyone's had a lot of downtime this year they've had time to think about it and maybe create a bit of a work-life balance you know usually we're so rushing around doing job 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 you know (laughs) we, we forget to take stock of um where we're at and how we're actually doing from a mental health perspective and or you know how you're being treated or the conditions in which you're working on and um you know hopefully we had a a discussion about mental health here last night with some professionals in the music industry and uh, they were saying exactly the same thing. It, it, it needs to come back to the producers and those things need to go into the budget and taking care of... It's really only been a recent thing that, that people like physiotherapists and performer wellness have become part of, you know, a circus or a Broadway show where they're there to help take care of the physical health of the performers and perhaps the crew if they're lucky enough to be in that loop but now I think like I think over time and my hope is that that in the future there'll also be that mental health support person in in an, in a company and or in a you know, In a group of people that is part of the tapestry of a company and and it's a normalised thing to have somebody that's like, okay, let's take care of these hours, let's take care of the overtime, let's take care of whatever this balance is. But, you know, I wonder also if that's a pipe dream because really when we come back to the industry, I think there's going to be lesser budgets and tighter, you know, tighter crews for a while right now until you can turn that entertainment industry back into a profitable money-making uh, endeavor, you know, and if people are not traveling and, you know, coming into say New York city to see Broadway shows, then where's the, where's the money that's going to foot all those shows to come back.
0: You know? It's true that it, it does always come back down to the money. It seems with the producers. And I think, yeah, I'm interested to see how it goes too, especially because I think we have a lot of time right now to sit back and think and talk and be like, well, why can't we solve it this way? And as soon as things start up again, that will be gone. And also, as you mentioned, the tighter crews, I think about them a lot too. And I'm like, we do have a great community here. And we all like are very welcoming and and happy for each other too. But also the competition will be fierce. Like when things start to reopen, I plan to take pay cuts. I'm pretty sure everyone plans to take pay cuts. I think jobs that I've done, if they come back to me and are like, you have to take a 25% pay cut because everyone is, I'd be like, let's go. That's, I'm fine with that. But even that's also a level of, of, privilege and experience to know my pay rate was so high that a twenty five percent pay cut is inconvenient, not not workable. Like it would have been at the beginning of my career, it would have been like I'm pretty much volunteering now. Is that what we're doing? And that again will then create further problems that we're trying to fix. When we talk about inequality and everything, you're right back to where people coming from privileged backgrounds who can be supported while they start here are back getting the jobs again. So I'm I'm hopeful we fix things coming back, but I feel the same way that it doesn't seem likely that things will actually get fixed
1: yeah there's there's a lot on producer's shoulders coming back i think what is it that you like most about your job as a stage manager
0: i like calling shows the most is that not what everyone it's a good
1: answer it would be it would be my my answer
0: (laughs) when you get one of those crazy sequences right and it's like i am the puppet master okay (laughs) but not because we don't say that because that's not what we're all thinking (laughs) It's a personal internal
2: celebration. It, it
0: really is. So yeah, it's hard to match when it's all going like perfectly.
2: Where can people read your uh, blog and
0: articles
2: and where can they follow you so they can see what you're advocating for?
0: Uh, I blog at Broke Girl Rich, which is Um And I'm really active on Twitter mostly, which is at Broke Girl Rich.
1: Fantastic. Well, Mel, it's been so wonderful catching up and chatting to you. And thank you for so much for sharing all your financial uh, tips and tools today.
2: We really appreciate it.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me. It was fun. We would love to
2: hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There is a link in our podcast description where you can send us your requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcast episodes for free. If you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast notes. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Life, the global media site for entertainment, at www.theatreartlife.com. And you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast, and Michelle Sharrotta, who is our sound engineer. We are your hosts, Anna Anana, and this is the theater at Life Podcast.